In the 1960s, Hungarian-born physicist Dennis Gabor invented holography. It was hailed as a technological milestone, and he won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1971. His technique involves splitting a laser beam over an object and recording the light pattern on film. Holography made it possible to make a three-dimensional representation on a flat surface. Holograms were way cooler than photographs, which could only capture the world in a paltry two dimensions. In 1985, the Royal College of Art founded the world's first fine art holography department. The course gave students unprecedented access to industrial technology and led the way in developing a new art form. Perhaps its most notable student was Margaret Benyon, who did a series of holographic portraits of her friend, the pop artist Richard Hamilton. It's hard to believe it now, but holograms were once the cutting edge of artistic practice. It seemed as though artists might drop their paintbrushes and pick up elaborate laser machines like the one from Honey I Shrunk the Kid. Holograms seem to signal a brave new world, but these days they look kind of retro. The colours are drawn from the same rave-tastic palette, and they move in the same eerie way like stop-motion puppets. Added to this, they're almost impossible to reproduce. It might be easy to think of them as naive kitsch, but the holography unit was, for a brief time, the most experimental art course in the country. Naomi Pierce visited the glue factory in Glasgow to see an exhibition featuring work from the RCA's holography unit. Um, so this is uh, a portrait of Carol Vorderman with various numbers stuck to her turtleneck jumper. She's got a calculator and some pencils in her hair. Three pencils, in fact. This is holographic Carol, early countdown days, pre-bodycon disasters and loose women. She's looking quite enthusiastic in the silvery-orange glow of this glass plate. It's as if she's trapped in some parallel reality. Actually, she looks slightly strung out. I mean, that's the other funny thing about holograms, is because, obviously... They're done in the dark and there's kind of a flash of laser light. They all look completely uh, pilled up, like kind of savagely uh, stoned, <laughs> like huge saucers for eyes. Um, so, um, yeah, so Carol looks like she's out of her mind. She's done far too much calculation. <laughs> this is Alistair Fraser, the curator of the holography unit, the exhibition of holograms that I've travelled up to Glasgow to see. So yeah, this is a this is a work by uh, Rob Monday, who was the technician on the course. And as the course developed, you know, there was all sorts of moonlighting going on, and people would, you know, kind of sneak in a commercial bit of work kind of late at night in order to get a bit of money to then fund their own work. Um, so this is an example of that. This is from 1988. So I guess quite early on in her career, I guess. Mm. But this work hasn't been hasn't been shown before. That's kind of one of those strange little ones that resides in uh, Rob Monday's kind of quite amazing collection. 
So what's the deal? Did Carol want a hologram? I don't know what the backstory to this was. I've no idea if it was for a magazine or something like that, but yeah. And, to, and, and could this bit have been reproduced on... You can, you can re- reproduce this as a foil hologram. Right. I mean, you won't get anything like this depth, but you know, you'll still get kind of quite a funny image. But I mean, Rob Monday wouldn't consider himself an artist, he's a technician. Um, but I was very keen to like, include him in this exhibition for the kind of level of craftsmanship that he, he had. And also, he lent that to all the students. And his, the yeah, his, his I mean, position in the story, right? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the things that students created wouldn't have been possible without his expertise. So. Right, okay. He didn't. We've also got his Amiga. It was the first computer generated hologram, which is on the other side of the gallery yeah. next to the uh, cocktail glass. But from where I'm standing, the cocktail glass is nothing but a blank reflective rectangle. In fact, most of the 40 holograms lining the walls of the gallery don't reveal their hidden depths easily. Walking through the space, it's clear that despite the invisible forces at work during their creation, the use of light waves produced by lasers to bring them into being, Holograms demand physical presence. It's only when they're moving on your axis, according to your eyes and senses, that they present themselves. And this blankness encourages a funny sort of interaction. It's really nice to see people looking at the holograms because they do this kind of weird, like, Jarvis Cocker dance. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, getting really down low. And then they sort of grab the other person and they're trying to sort of, like, place the other person in the line that they're seeing, you know, kind of, like, see this thing, you know, trying to, like line up someone else's eyes with your own Um, it's great it is great and I'm really enjoying looking at these images but really what exactly are these holograms trying to communicate am I just getting excited about the novelty of the experience I think I think you have to um, see what it leaves you with really I think that's the main thing it's it's one thing when it's in front of you and you're kind of interacting with it and um, you've got that kind of instant feedback um, I think the really good holograms stay with you and kind of and kind of leave a certain longing, you know. Um, you kind of want to see them again. You know? It's that. It's just that. It's that feeling. You know? so there's some slight kind of love involved, maybe that you've slightly fallen for this thing. It's kind of it's kind of had you in some way, but and it's also that you know that you can't. You can't look at an image of it. It doesn't do that thing. You know, it's going back to that. It's, you have to. You have to be with it. Mm-mm. It has to be like access. It's not just like available, sitting there, available all the yeah. time. Yeah. Holograms aren't just beautiful and fascinating. They have a certain high-tech mystique about them. Well, stay tuned to have the mystery revealed. This retrospective is the first to reflect upon the unexpected life and work of the world's first holography MA course, established at the Royal College of Art in 1984. Reflecting the schizophrenic nature of the wider holographic community, the course brought together individuals from science, art and even military backgrounds. Graham Saxby, he was the sort of father figure of the course, he had learnt like, about holography, not necessarily how to do it through uh, the RAF. Um, so he was a reconnaissance photographer so he'd learn how to do kind of stereo imaging through these kind of multiple flybys that the RAF had kind of pioneered 
and yeah, it was his. He had a passion for holography, but he didn't necessarily know quite how to get there. So he assembled all these other people around as well. Um, Nick Phillips, he's like incredibly uh, famous holographer. He was employed by um, the band The Who for a while to do their kind of laser stage shows and things like that. Um, Mike Burridge, who's you know these are all people who were kind of more on the science side, but had a vision for how this could translate as an art form. You know, this was their idea, this was their baby, that they could all kind of come together and create something new together rather than being kind of fractured off in their own little individual research units. And so they, what, how did it go then? Did they collectively um, approach the RCA? I mean, everyone's got slightly different stories about what exactly happened. Um, but I mean, were the RCA on the hunt for and a course like this or I think Jocelyn Stevens was on the hunt for something and he, well, he was the sort of incumbent rector so he had just come in and obviously he was wanting to sort of set out his stall and his kind of whole shtick I suppose was to make it more commercial I think they probably sold the holography course as being a much more like commercially minded thing than they probably really knew it was um, but there was some promise there, and that's, I guess, why the environmental art course and the, uh, the film course were closed down, because they didn't... You know, he, this, Have that same promise, yeah. He was very Thatcherite, um, and this mm. was like the whole movement. It completely fit, fitted in with what was going on generally, broadly, politically, um, and culturally at the time. I think that's really interesting, though, because it feels like it's got a very... You know, different standing, but as a commercial entity anyway, Holograms is not where you'd put your money if you were trying to have a good, do a new business venture. So it's interesting how like much of a shift there's been in like the approach to the media. I mean, even by the time the course closed, I think holography had come a bit of a joke. I mean, like sort of think of um, like Red Dwarf, which was like end, very end of the 80s, kind of early 90s. You know, you've got like hologram is a total dickhead essentially you know he's, he's a joke <laughs> um yeah supernaturals now you can join the battle between brave lionheart and the evil skull and their eerie ghostlings lion you're dying now master they change to fight with ghostly might Turn them into the light, and they change into even more powerful creatures. Now, the wine in me is free. Take this! Supernaturals. Lionheart, Skull and Ghostling sold separately. New from Tonka. These are the holograms of my childhood. The flimsy foil stickers you got free with a pack of ricicles. The funky plasters that other kids had at school or the plastic action figures that broke after one intergalactic space mission. I think holograms and I think gimmick. Tacky stuff that sci-fi enthusiasts and stoners think are cool. It's difficult to imagine that for a moment, holograms were the future, thought of as a viable option. Surely all images would be made this way eventually, taken seriously as a fertile ground for development. What's funny about this forward thinking is that in many ways, holography is a very physical technique. Not digital, but analogue a process derived from old-fashioned image-making, taking place in the subterranean passages of buildings. At the RCA, the department resided down in the basement. And apparently the door's still there, I haven't seen it yet, but it still says holography unit on it. 
by um, all accounts, I think it's somewhere behind the lecture theatre down in the basement. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was all, yeah, it's all to do with uh, kind of vibrations, basically. Like, you need completely static um, situation to make a hologram. So they would set up all the parts of the holographic table, and then you have to leave it for a couple of hours to like settle, so all vibrations gone. Like, any movement completely ruins a hologram. Um, this is in the earlier laser. Um, once they got the pulse laser, then that didn't become an issue because you could then take you know holograms of moving objects. But mm -hmm. before that, if you're taking a hologram of a model or something, um, this being like a, like a non-human model, like you'd have to yeah let everything settle down in the sand bed so they would go kind of up to the bar, you know, for a couple of hours, come back down, and then do all the do all the chemicals and shit, you know. I get a sense of this process being quite an individual pursuit, something the dedicated few were willing to experiment with, moving on from each failure with renewed determination. It must have been exciting to work with the technical process still in its infancy, where the boundaries of what was possible were still unknown. But with such a focus upon the medium, approaching it in terms of its technical capacity, it probably made it quite difficult to engage on any conceptual level. How do you compare works or discuss them critically when you're creating the language of a practice? Um, I mean, some of the holographers talk about kind of a lack of discourse within the, the unit, like there weren't really crits, like they tried to do it, but it just failed. Like it just, people were all kind of on their own. Is that because the aesthetic was so diverse? Yeah, like strangely enough, like, because you, 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 I think, I guess coming to it at first, you kind of see this kind of laser light in all the works and you kind of assume that it's all very similar but actually maybe it was through the similarity that people were finding or you know seeing the differences themselves so actually individually they all thought they were doing completely different things that maybe to the unholographic eye kind of looks quite similar. Maybe it's difficult to have crits when there's so much of an emphasis upon like this reveal moment mm. so you know like so much of the work operates on this like can you see it? Can you tell what it is yet? You know, because that's... And that maybe that emphasis on that moment, like the success of that moment, like how it's revealed to the viewer or, like, you know, and how well it's executed, that that detracts from a critical... I think yeah, it's, probably, it's probably that point, but almost like the inverse, because I don't think it's necessarily that the holographers were trying to create a reveal moment. It's actually because they were finding one in the making of it themselves... I mean, there was kind of like a spark that happened. And I think um, with most of these holograms, they're not highly constructed. I mean, there's a very clear idea of what they want to do, but I don't think you could, I don't think you would want to try and like redo one of these holograms, but with, you know, slightly different parameters that you'd got some feedback from a crit. They, mm -hmm. sort of, they feel like a real like, space and yeah, time, yeah. just like sealed in that thing for better or for worse. But despite this lack of criticality and the outsider position the holographers occupied within the fine art establishment, some of the works on show here, such as Martin Moore's piece Two Circles, draw interesting parallels with the artists working in moving image at the time. And someone scribbled on it. <laughs> it's that good, it's that good. <laughs> They're just like in awe, mouth yeah. open. So, um, yeah, it's probably... I need to clean this, actually. But, yeah, this is an amazing work. Um, 
it's yes, yeah, just. Um, I mean, it's basically, I can see why there's finger marks all over it because it it just really looks like you could kind of reach into this like green sort of perspex hole and kind of touch this. I don't know. It's like textured red velvet circle underneath. It's kind of like burning through from below. It really reminds me of Liz Rhodes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some like really interesting relationships between yeah what Liz Rhodes was doing. I guess like a few you know, I guess like ten years before mm. the logography course started. Mm. I'm thinking in particular of her 1971 film Dresden Dynamo a mesmerising 10-minute visual and acoustic abstraction created by the application of Letraset and Letratone onto clear film stock. Like Martin Waugh, Rhodes' film utilises opposing colour filters, graphic raw material to give the illusion of spatial depth. Well, it's kind of optical, especially yeah. that Liz Rhodes film you're talking about. I mean, it, it really, like, completely... It's a completely optical experience, like, sensory in that way. And, like, the, this, the more you look at it, it actually it gets more and more... More and more insane. like shapes like appear. It sort of comes up as like a volcanic crater, mm-hmm. um, and that gets even brighter the more you look at it. It's now 20 years since the last intake of students graduated. For a brief period of the RCA's history, a handful of young people were entrusted with expensive and powerful technology, the capabilities of which at this point were uncharted. Fast forward to present day, and it almost doesn't seem possible. I don't think that happens very often um, in an art school. I feel like a lot of fine art art school courses actually kind of quite um, cynical and repetitive in many ways. Certainly, I have doubts about the level of experimentation at the Royal College now. Um, I think in that context, this course isn't like it's very interesting to look at. It's very exciting. Um, there's you know, lots of people in fine art at the Royal College now that are exploring similar themes in their work. But yet, the thing about the holography unit is that people were really, really immersed in technology. It wasn't just referencing technology. They were actually at the cutting edge of it whilst making you know, visual artwork. Um, their work wasn't just relevant to the art world, it was rele- relevant to the scientific world simultaneously, and I think that's... But then surely, like, that has had some kind of impact on their, not their downfall, but on their lack of uh, prevalence because they're so niche, you know, and because yeah. they were so um, involved in their process that maybe their content suffered, or...? I think, yeah, I mean, I think within a course you always get a mixture. I mean, maybe some of them where they should have been... You know, out speaking to other people in the art world, or perhaps out speaking to scientists, and in terms of supporting their their art form, that's maybe not. Maybe it's useful maybe in terms crazy. of trying to learn our lesson to think about new media or post-internet art practices. How will they be viewed with hindsight? Ultimately, if you invest all your aesthetic eggs in technology, get seduced by the quirks and tricks of certain tools, then be prepared to reflect a moment in time one that might not age well. Holography failed to establish itself within the fine art canon. It was too expensive, too niche, too retro, too quickly. Perhaps the most revealing thing about this exhibition is that it asks us to look again and see the potential. It's pushing for us to build upon the aesthetic of these initial experiments, recognise that these were practices just starting out. It's a shame things ended before they'd really begun. 
but that's the future for you. It always comes along too quickly. You've been listening to CAR, audio from the RCA. Hear past episodes at rcaaudio.co.uk. Email us at car at rca.ac.uk.